Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 56 of the Big Weekend Gaming Podcast, streaming live on YouTube late Sunday night Australian time. I'm joined by Mike. Howdy ho. Sweeney. Hello there. <laughs> on Sunday the 17th of October, this week we'll be discussing Nintendo Switch's online expansion pricing, uh, the analog snazzy new OS, impressions of the zombie co-op shooter Back for Blood, and our hands-on, well, Swinny's hands-on, with the min- minimalistic Square Enix RPG Dungeon Encounters. As always, if you want to check us out on socials, go to Big Week Pod on anything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We barely post at all. You can go find us there. I should get uh, uh, Mikey in charge of the social account. Uh, and as do, I said... Do you really want that? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. Um, and, as, <laughs> and as I said, uh, we will... Uh, be streaming live on Sunday nights. So, you know, earlier in the day on Sundays, US time and UK time, I think. I don't know what the UK time is. You should be more familiar with this, Swinny. Uh, got no idea. Okay. So Swinny a lot. It's probably like Never in the middle of the night. It, okay. Even though I have a reason to. It's 11.48 a.m., so lunchtime. Ah, cool. Have a cup of tea. Have a Listen cup to tea. us rant on about games for a couple of hours. No, fair and enough, I, fair enough. I like in the intro, like, I always try to make things as, it's the show, you know, for during the intro, it's like an hour impressions, and no matter what I write, Intergod always takes it to, and my review, or Swinney's impressions, and I'm like, no matter what I do, it's just he's going gonna to boil it down to that point. It's like, <laughs> I, I believe in truth and journalism. <laughs> hey, I was, I was pretty good this week. I, I felt like I read more of the script than I usually do. All right, well, why don't we get uh, stuck straight into what we've been playing. Uh, so this week, uh, Mike, we've been both playing similar games, so I thought we'd kick off with you because I played one extra game. So what yeah. what have you been playing slash what have we been playing? So we, see, there you go, Swinny. It's, it's about us. It's about <laughs> we. We have been playing a couple of games. So Metro Dread was one of them. So well, not I together. It my... makes it sound like we're playing it together now. So. Yeah, we, so we hold hands up. and... <laughs> skip and then we get together and play some metro dread no so we we both played metro dread i think you you'll talk about your bits and pieces later i think in more detail but uh i am what i believe is at the end of the game so i've experienced most of it now you i think have gone maybe a little further maybe not all just to pause you there sorry to interrupt yeah how do you not know it's the end of the game? Like this, this no, I, game... I, no, look, I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. As in, this game is in... really clear if it's the end of the game. It's like I have a feeling the <laughs> current boss that I'm up to is probably the last boss, but I don't know, and I don't want to. I don't want to read okay. spoilers or anything. So maybe All I'm right. wrong. No, Whatever, enough. we'll see. We'll see. So, so yeah, it's. It, we'll talk about it in a bit more detail. But love the game. Absolutely love the game. Um, and I think Swinney, you were going to tell us something about it, maybe later. Yes, no, no. no. I was going to say I is, asking about it. No, that I, the fact that I'm just really annoyed at our current uh, postal service because um, I ordered the game. Uh, could, it wasn't available for pickup in my local EV game, so mm-hmm. I had to order it through their online store. And I'm like, you know what? I really want this game. I'm so sick of seeing the spoiler articles. Every single website has has spoiled certain 
moments bosses and i'm like i just need to play this bloody game mm. yeah and so i spent the extra ten dollars for what i thought was going to be express post and i know i should have thought more more of it but i'm you know what i'm you know it's wednesday i'm gonna pay for express post and you know it should be here hopefully mm. by by the end of friday because it's express post or Saturday, because they po- they deliver some stuff. And on it still hasn't arrived. So Dang. basically, I wasted ten bucks for absolutely nothing, and that's, now I'm like, I just good. don't have the energy to like figure out who do I complain to to potentially resolve it because I don't think there's any I way I would get that ten nah. bucks back. So it's like that's no, gonna care. Uh, so no, I haven't played it, Mike. Um, I'd like to. And okay. it looks well, so my own fault for not organizing it earlier. I'm not saying like I, I there's a way I could have gotten the game earlier, of course, but yeah. I didn't think that it would be that much trouble to get it express posted to me. Well, I, I just to jump in, just you know, probably because like half our listeners are from the States. So just so people understand, in Australia, we still have lockdowns for this thing called COVID-19 yes. that the rest of the world has moved on from. And, and curfews. You can't say that word in videos. You get demonetized. No, they, they've changed that now. Oh, you um, can say it now. By the way, let, let's not forget the curfews as well. We're not allowed to go well, outside our house after 9 are. o'clock. You guys are in Yeah, we, we are. It's illegal to walk outside the house <laughs> after 9 p.m. Not that nerds like That's us crazy. would really do anything outside the house after 9 p.m., but in the unlikely event I got hunger or something. Well, I was literally calling you guys last night, like... At, 10, 11 yeah. p.m. drove this to the ocean. Off. So, you yeah. know, that definitely, like, the curfew matters to me. But show off. In the, in the time that you have been waiting for Dread, which is especially shit that there's been some massive spoilers that, you know, like, having experienced it myself, mm. like, it would, I would have been filthy if, if that was spoiled for me after, like, 20 years of waiting for this bloody game. I've now 100% of the game and started a hard playthrough Damn. to try to get the time... I won't even spoil what the time is that people would need to target. But, I mean, that shouldn't be a massive spoiler for anyone who has anything to do with Metroid. They all know that you need to get it in and under certain time limits to get sort of, you know, optional endings. Although they're just right. images normally. So It's all pretty much the original speedrun game in many ways. So It is. Like, that's the amazing thing about Nintendo, right? There's so many things they do that are just... It sort of started whole, you know, fields and everything like that just from simple games. So the last thing I just wanted to say before heading back to Mike um, on what else you've been playing is I, I think I've bumped this game up, man. And I don't want to overhype it for you, Swinny, because I know that you're like, haven't played it yet. I, I, I'd give it a 10 out of 10. Like, and I'll, I'll say it's an imperfect 10 out of 10. And I know you hate that. So it's not a 10 Swinney. out of 10. It is a 10 out of 10. It's a 9.8. It, it's. Definitely not to the same level. Like, if it was a, a tier list, and I, I shouldn't say that because I do want to do a Metroid tier list, but it's freaking good, man. Like, I honestly think in my, it's really pushing up against being the second, my second favorite 2D Metroid, which is saying something. So, yeah, it's just having gone back and just, you know, playing some of the puzzles and the late game puzzles, man, they, they've really, they love Metroid, the team and Mercury's team. Like, I really tip my hat to them. Like, it is such a challenge what they needed to do, and it's it's just incredible how well they've executed. So I, I'm, I cannot wait to hear how you, what you think of the game. There's there's one funny clip going around at the moment, and it's it's spoiler relatively spoiler-free. Um, do you know David Jaffe, or do, I think that's how you say it, David Jeff, Jaffe? Is it Gaffe? Uh, yeah, but Gaffey. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, the, the guy, like the God of War guy yeah, and yeah. everything, and now he's like, he streams a lot, and he's like lambasting the game 
for bad game design because he didn't realize there's like a piece of the roof he needed to shoot <laughs> which is clearly signposted by the enemies in the roof the room above you and it's like then they they the, they've cut in the clip with all these other streamers and everything just casually shooting the roof <laughs> because the game naturally teaches you to do that in it actually does the tutorial um, and all yeah. this stuff so it's like man like and i that guy's like he's obviously very you know well regarded video massively. game designer yeah, but clearly <laughs> clearly he didn't get that one well I, you know you're a bit of the master of the schedules when he we we should do a special on game design and just you know especially old game design versus modern game design and you know how much space a developer is given because you look at stuff like Dark Souls and I feel like you know people still criticize from software saying it's inaccessible the games it's unfair it's wrong the way that they set out their games I think it'd be a really cool topic to cover because you know just the last thing I'll say because we've gone on for a while about Dread is just you know, like they've really respected the franchise and tried to modern it as much as possible, but also, you know, nod to some of the things that happen in the earlier games in a really smart way. Um, and I don't think ever really blocking your progress. So, it, yeah, I can't wait to hear what you yeah. think of it. And I'm not necessarily expecting, knowing you, that you'll think it's one of the greatest or anything like that. But I just, yeah, be really interested to, to get your thoughts on it. Look, I've never played a Metroid game I didn't like. Mm. So, um, my. And I'll preface that by saying my copy of Other M is unopened. So, <laughs> <laughs> so true, true. Yeah. And Mike, going back to you, just on Back for Blood. Yeah, uh, I had a couple of other thoughts about Metro Dread. Oh yeah, go on, go on. If it's if it's massive ones. No, just so so I I'm relatively newish to the Metroid franchise, I guess, having just recently played Super Metroid. So it's really cool to see the contrast and see mm. how it. Super Metro was still fresh in my mind when playing Dread. So it was really cool to see the modern spin and all of that. And it, it still felt, like, to the core, it felt like what Metroid is. And now I'm just kind of annoyed that I didn't play all the other good Metroid games that were out there. So I think I might have to pick them up and go through each one. No, um, anyway. Back for Blood? Back for Blood, yes. Yeah. So uh, Intergod and I had the, the opportunity using Game Pass, because we're a couple of cheapskates in this particular instance, to uh, to play a bit of uh, a bit of Back for Blood, and look, I know it's been getting a bit of flack online, but my my initial impressions are it was actually quite a fun game. Um, well, we I, do we do have a special segment where we're going to we dive do, so into it. Later. We won't go into all the details, but uh, but yeah, we we played a bit. Um, another evening, you weren't there unfortunately, so we couldn't uh, couldn't do that. So we had to play with a couple of other friends, um, and I also tried this the solo campaign. Um, so oh. we've got some thoughts on that as well. Yeah, our, not not a lot. I didn't finish it or anything like that. I just want to check out what the difference is. Yeah, um, and yeah, we'll we'll save some thoughts for for later. But all right, well let's cover it then because. Yeah, like I, I know it's sort of been a bit review bombed, so I think our impressions are quite different to to a lot of the other folks. I think so, yeah. Um, I, you know, I've, like I said, I played similar similar stuff to you. The one difference, and I hadn't mentioned it previously, is that I'd been playing a little bit of uh, Nick All Star Brawl, Nickelodeon All Star Brawl. Uh, I cannot convince anyone to play this game or jump in <laughs> the game with me. But actually, um, my wife's brother plays Smash a lot and I went to their house, you know, now that the lockdown's, you know, easing at least in Sydney and just catching up with family and stuff. And 
he had a go at it as well. And he, he's very much of the same opinion as me. It's just very like tight, like just such a tight game, really fun, but absolutely a budget game. Like and bare bones to the core, like so bare bones. But, you know, personally, I kind of felt like, and it sounds stupid because it's like fundamentally a big company behind it. But I was like, I just want to support this uh, developer, the same developer of Slap City. I, I feel like they've really done something. They've been super passionate about it. I really hope it's successful. And, you know, hopefully, you know, they've already had discussions that, you know, if the game gets some traction, they believe that they'll be able to get voice acting in the game. I think that's the biggest flaw of the game, honestly, out of everything. You know, they have like a rollback netcode for even Switch one-on-one and they have it like, you know, three, four, four player uh, rollback for other systems. So, you know, the the core elements are all there for this game. It's just the voice acting is so odd when you play it initially. When you play it for a bit, you don't really notice it, but um, I'd, I'd love for you to have a crack maybe when I'm down in Melbourne, Swinney. So I've watched a lot of this game. Um, because obviously it's huge in the Smash community and they want it to be a thing because they want an alternative to play and one that's got rollback netcode out of the box officially and everything. Um, but there's not even, for me, it's like even watching it, the, the lack of voice acting impacts your enjoyment of even watching it. And some, some of that's just the fact that there's no, not even any grunts or like, mm. you know, ah, when people are like swinging their sword mm. or whatever. And there's just... It just feels almost like you could just replace his characters with polygonal models, like the original Smash 64, and it's like, you know, like there wouldn't be that much more life to it. Like the, the character models and everything generally look really good, um, but as you said, it's like you, you can tell that obviously it doesn't have the budget of a Smash, not you'd expect it. But my question for you, Intigod, is is there anything in the way at all in sing, of single-player content at all in the game? Yeah, I mean, there is. It's not like a, you know, with Smash Ultimate, and I'll just explain this so everyone understands as well, how you have this sort of arcade mode where you can progress through, say, 10 battles. It has that, and it has, a like, one-liners at the start of each one. So, you know, it has some structure of who you're fighting, why you're fighting them, little lines and stuff like that. Not much to it. Like, this game is super bare bones. Like, so bare bones. But, you know, like, the one thing I'll say about it before um, moving to you, Swinney, and, you know, I really, I'm super keen to hear your impressions on a few things, including a certain uh, PlayStation 5 that you may have or may not have bought, and also the Elite Controller Series 2, and that's coming up shortly. But I actually think, you know, because we sometimes have people come over our house, you know, when we're allowed to, you know, in Australia, because it's a nanny state here. I actually think I'll put this game on at parties and not Smash Brothers. I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, I I don't know if it's because it's new for me, but Mm. I feel like this game will resonate with more random people than Smash Brothers will. Because there's still a segment of people that's like, yeah, video games, I get that. But kind of like everyone, because it's covering so many age demos, they'll go, oh, yeah, like even like with uh, my wife's brothers, like, oh, Turtles. Like, what the hell? There's like Turtles in this game? Okay, cool. Cat dog. So, um, I don't know. Like, I'll, I'll see, you know, when we have some people over. I think some people want to come over and play Smash, so I might throw this game on instead and see how it, see how it fares. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, how about you, Sweeney? What have you been playing this week? A few things, just like <laughs> normal. Um, so, the first is I've been playing a lot of Dungeon Encounters. Um, later on in the show, I'm actually going to talk about that in, in depth, about, you know, I put about 
six, seven, eight hours. I can't remember exactly into that. Um, so I have a really good feel for what they're going for with that game. Um, also been... I, I didn't necessarily start it this week, but I put more time into Final Fantasy IV. So after beating Final Fantasy II, Final Fantasy IV was next on my checklist for my gaming resolutions. Hoping that I'm kind of planning to maybe wrap that up this week and then move on to Final Fantasy V, which is the last of kind of the retro Final Fantasies um, in my list. So that'll be fun. The game I've probably put the second most amount of time other than Dungeon Counters this week is Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix. So... Let me just grab something on that. So basically I've been playing it on, as you, most people would expect, on the HD collection, which is Kingdom Hearts HD 1 plus, sorry, 1.5 plus 2.5 remix. <laughs> Not to be confused with the other collection, which is Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue. And it just makes me wonder why you need to put prologue in the end of Final Chapter. It's like, <laughs> it just seems the most redundant, stupid naming ever. But... The reason why I hadn't actually played this game yet after beating the first game in the collection last year was that I kind of got stuck on uh, the, re the remake of Chain of Memories, which is second in the list of, I guess, like the canonical list of when how you kind of should play through the game storyline-wise. And I just could, I just fell off that. So I said, you know, bugger, I'm just going to move straight to Kingdom Hearts 2. And we wanted to play this game for a long time. Sora just got announced for Smash, so I'm like, I really want to play through Kingdom Hearts 2 to kind of just get more into that universe and then see how I feel about, I guess, Kingdom Hearts as a whole so far. Um, because I, I really enjoyed the first game, but it was definitely... There's elements of it I wasn't a fan of. This game, number two, is the most Nomura-ass game I've ever played. So Tet uh, Tetsuya Nomura, the, um, the guy essentially at the head of the Final Fantasy series now that's known for being the character designer for a lot of the games around, like, Final Fantasy VIII period and everything. Puts belts on every single character. Like, even in this game, the character has two belts wrapped around, like, a mask around their head. But when I say it's the most Nomura-ass game I've ever played, it's that you could just... The storylines of games that he really heads up are just the most convoluted, like, bullshit you could ever possibly imagine. And that was no more prevalent in number... Five, uh, sorry, Final Fantasy 15 for me. And I see where it's kind of progressed from the Kingdom Hearts series to the Final Fantasy series and crossing over there. But look, so far that narrative, you see it in the B-roll at the moment, there's like anytime you get away from the Disney characters and you kind of get into their, a lot of this own, you know, world with the Organization 13 and everything, none of that honestly interests me in any way. So I'm hoping that I grow to enjoy that side of the story. At the moment, I just like going to the different worlds and, you know, they're based on the Disney franchises. And, like, I enjoy that part in the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay. So I'm hoping the storyline of Kingdom Hearts as a whole does actually get better for me. But anyway. Just on just on the storyline, do you reckon you could, without any other resources, like any other YouTube videos, when you finish playing through, say, Kingdom Hearts 3 come back on the show later and explain the whole storyline and the timeline <laughs> of Kingdom I'm expecting, Hearts? I'm expecting I won't be able to. <laughs> like, the thing is also, does that include me having played all the games in between, you know, that are in those collections as well? Because they're apparently very important to understanding the storyline. So, <laughs> I don't know. I've heard that it's one of the most convoluted stories in gaming. So, we'll see when I get to that point if uh, if that's the case or not. So, at the moment, it's not too complicated. I mean, it's probably starts off pretty 
simple. So yeah, and out of anyone, like you, you know, what have you played? Literally hundreds of JRPGs. So you're attuned to the motifs, the you know, the hierarchies, the archetypes of the characters, and everything. So. If you can't understand and follow it, I feel like that totally puts a stamp on when this story yeah. is convoluted. Yeah. But and I yeah, have no hope. It's, I, I will say they, I had to kind of do a refresher on what the hell actually happened at the end of the first game before I started this one. So anyway. But uh, no, that's not the only thing I've been playing this week. Um, I've been also playing some games on my new PlayStation 5. Woo. So... Ooh. Thanks to the help of uh, the amazing Intergot, um, I managed to score myself a PlayStation 5 about <laughs> during the break of the show. And I set it up, tried it out a little bit, and then unfortunately couldn't actually play it for a while. And the reason I couldn't play it for a while is that all the games I own that I could play on it, um, you know, whether or not they were, you know, something like Astro's uh, Playroom or they were um, my PS4 games that I bought. Generally, are all very action-heavy games, so lots of button pressing and everything. And around that time, from playing too much Tales of Arise, I'd actually got RSI in my hands. Like, and like, and it's joking. Jokes aside, like, so at that point, I wasn't playing any games that required me to, you know, like mash buttons all the time because I was easing up on all that stuff. So I'm sitting there looking at this PlayStation Five and being like, "There's nothing I can really play on it at the moment that I own." Um, so when things started to, you know, like get better and this week on, you know, that, that stuff's all healed up, um, finally jumped into Astros, uh, man, first thing like everyone is probably going to say is the controller is just something else, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's kind of wild. Um, this, I know Nintendo get a lot of credit for advancing like innovation in terms of like controllers and hardware, but often I feel that they do it in a way that doesn't feel like it's going to move like it's going to move past that point whereas a lot of the stuff in the dual sense specifically like the haptic feedback and the tree like obviously the triggers and everything like it's just like i could see so much potential with this stuff it's kind of wild um mm. it's a crazy piece of tech um and the thing for me is that obviously the touchpad was there for the ps4 but I never had a PS4. So even the touchpad itself is like a brand new piece of tech that I've never dealt with. And when you're in Astro's Playroom, which is just an, an absolute delight to play and just amazing. Just um, just on Astro, before you move on, just quickly, how, how how many hours have you played it? It's a very short game. I'll get back to that. Okay, second. cool, cool, cool. So I'm really I keen just to hear your finish off talking about the controller before I move to the, the game. Um, so the section where you're actually rolling the ball using the touchpad was actually one of the most impressive things to me because that's something I've never done using controller ever before. And I know it's, mm. you know, you have the Steam controller like originally tried out for that stuff, but I've never used a controller that has that kind of input device to it. Um, but yeah, look, just wrapping up some overall, I guess, hardware and interface thoughts. Like, obviously, it's, a, it's an amazing machine. Having one in my house is very different than looking at one in a picture. Um, I realize that i'm not a fan of the way it looks sitting next to my tv i it makes me actually honestly want to get black face plates black to... black face plates black black face plates. <laughs> black. i need to i need to mark this time 
Hmm, okay. You're the one that said, I said black face plates. Okay. Okay. You're I, the one that interpreted that different. That's what I heard. I, I'm literally going to put on YouTube a YouTube short and then have the thumbnail like Justin Trudeau in black face on the side of I the I want to get black face plates, right? Yes, that's better. Not black yes. face plates. Black oh face plates. Yeah, you're the one that interpreted <laughs> that way. So the, the reason being is just like, just so it's honestly less of an eyesore. And I don't think the Series X looks amazing or anything, but it's just black, a black box, right? <laughs> so you kind of they're like, like they're black. just... Yeah, whereas the PlayStation like. 4 looks like some bloody... We talked about it before. It looks like a Mass Effect gun I've got in sitting, yeah. sitting next to my TV. Um, so, someone described it on a podcast, and I think it's so apt that, you know, you bring a lady or a guy home, you know, sitting down on the couch. And maybe they're not the biggest gamer, right? If there's a Series X, it's like, okay, like... Whatever, right? That's totally normal. Yeah. The PlayStation Five draws your eye. You look at it, you're like, yeah. "What the hell is this? Like, what is this guy into?" <laughs> just like even oh, I just no, I had man. the comical nature of even setting the stand up. I was like, "What am I doing? This is a video game console." Like yeah. the fact that you have to when you're laying horizontally figure out like how the stand connects to it, and I'm like, yeah, "Why? Fair. Like, I've never mm. had to do this for any console ever." It's over engineered. It's just kind of wild to me. Yeah. So, but um, <laughs> look the the interface as well. Look, um, the one thing I love about it is it's like no, I'm fairly certain it's like running at 4K. It's HDR. I know that much. Mm-hmm. Series X doesn't do that. Like, it's one of the things that really annoys me about Series X is it's really? it's actual user interface doesn't run hdr so every time you swap there from a game that's oh. running hdr it has the tv has to flick back and it's Ugh. like and it's <laughs> so it looks the place tv yeah so the playstation 5 looks amazing on my tv the <sighs> interface itself and it sounds great like i've been trying to 3d audio but i've only got astro to really try it with um eventually i'd like to give it like return a shot with that stuff and really see what that is capable of but i, I thought that the xbox they did the update for 4k so it's just 4k but not hdr it, look, if it's 4K, possibly, but it, the HDR is what I noticed because I'm playing a lot of games that are running, especially Xbox One games like Kingdom Hearts that are auto HDR. So every time my dashboard, it has to swap back. And oh, it's just wow. jarring. So. Yeah, that's horrible. That that reminds me of, yeah, you know, like the PlayStation, PlayStation 2 era where some games would be running at 240p or 480 and like interlaced and it would like flip back on some TVs. Like CRTs were fine, but... You plug it into anything else, it just blows up capture cards mm. and everything. I have heard that Damn. that it may be in the in the cards. So, mm. but yeah, look, overall, I I need to spend more time with it to really, um, you know, judge how I feel about it. Like, I, it's a fantastic system. I'm not can't say anything about that. I just I haven't spent enough to kind of say, look, did I think it was worth actually spending the amount of money at the moment? Um, does allow me to play Final Fantasy XIV, so that's that's one thing. So, fine. but you should be saying you're coming from a non PlayStation Four owner, right? Like, I think Correct. that's a totally different equation. I'd still totally say if you've got a PlayStation Four or an Xbox One X, I, I don't feel like it makes sense to upgrade. To be honest, still, mm. like even to this day, same as the Switch OLED, I don't think it's worth upgrading any of these consoles right now, really. Especially that they're releasing games on both. Hey, uh, did you cover Astro? It feels like I, like I was listening to you. Oh, but... Well, I'm, the thing is, just like I'm already talking a lot. So... Oh, no, no, but it's fine. I'm really keen to hear like how many hours you've played and how you find it so far. So, well, I mean, I beat Astro. Oh, okay. Um, so how did you find it? Astro, look, it's awesome. It's, it's a really, really 
it's just a delight to play, as mm. I said before. Um, it's obviously designed for a very specific purpose, or well, for a couple of very specific purposes. Like one is obviously to showcase the tech, mm. which it does fantastically. Um, it has a bit too much motion control stuff for my liking, okay. but I understand why it's there. Like I could do with less of the rocket sections or the spring sections where you're having to like turn oh, okay. the controller either way. Like the trigger stuff I like, but it's like I'm just kind of over motion control itself, sure. my, just personally. Um, but I mean, it looks amazing, but you know, they, they could have done with more nods to the PlayStation's history. What can I say? <laughs> Look, it is amazing what okay. they've done in that game. It is wild. Like, the amount... You just play... that. There's certain sections of that game where you just got a grin on your face. And there is one There's one specific cameo that I was waiting for that I'm, I didn't know if they'd put it in. And when I saw it, it was just... It made me so happy. Um, Which one? Look, it's not no, really a spoiler. Yeah, don't I don't know. It's not really spoiling anything. Um I'll do it if you want, but was it the PlayStation yeah, no. memory card? <laughs> no, look, all the all the models are amazing. No, it was just the fact that I'm playing the whole time. I'm like, is there going to be a jumping flash? Ah, oh, okay. And when I saw it, it made me so happy because that was the last world I played. And I'm like, it's just kind of built up to that moment. I'm like, yes, they put jumping flash in, which is <laughs> probably like early PlayStation. I think it was the first PlayStation game I ever played, and it was like that is so ingrained in their history for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great. It's just, it's the most Nintendo thing mm. that never made by Nintendo. It, literally, as you were talking through it, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's the way it shows off the controller, you know, and just how integrated and how many ideas they play off it i i think it definitely struck me better than or more than a lot of other people like i absolutely adore that game like i feel like i'll play through it again in a year's time because it's just so enjoyable um no that's awesome i'm really glad you liked it cool and um, i might next week i might talk about but i want to hear about it you really want to hear about it dude i was playing with what you're going to bring up at the store because i'm like Am I crazy? Okay. Will I buy this? <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll quickly <laughs> talk about... So during the break, I also got the Xbox Elite Series 2 controller. And I, I do wonder why I hadn't got an Elite controller up until that point because I use my Xbox so much. Mm. This thing is just awesome. But when I bought it, the one thing I did was I drilled EB Games and I made sure that I also got... Um, the extent most extended warranty I could possibly get on this thing because I know it has drift issues. There's mm. like that's a huge issue with this controller. So I'm like, I want to make yeah. sure that if this thing starts to drift, I can take this back, get it fully repaired or fully replaced for as long as I can, you know. Uh-huh. So with that worry out the window, like I was like, Yeah, I'm sold on this. Um it is absolutely just like it feels so nice. <laughs> it's like the nicest controller I've ever held. Um, it is a little heavy, but I understand why it's heavy because mm. it's obviously got so many kind of like modular things to it and just the material is just so much... just feels Premium. Yeah, it feels so much better made than any mm. other controller. Um, but it is a little on the heavy side in that regard. Also, um, there's no direct uh, share button on this one. So mm. it's kind of like... I got used to the Xbox One controller having dedicated share button. It's a shame that this one doesn't have it, but it is what it is. It's just instead of one button presses, two button presses. But just like the modular, like clicking of the, you know, swapping the D pad and the magnetization of everything, it's just so good. 
But one of the biggest surprises was um, this. I don't know if you guys can see it. So there you go. Uh-huh. So the oh, fact yeah. that, and I can't compare this to the Elite One because I never had it. I was actually really surprised to know that you could charge the controller in the case. Yeah, I don't think the original had it. I don't it's, remember, it, I don't remember like that. That was the biggest complaint that people had outside of Drift, that you couldn't charge it in the case. And Microsoft was like, people want to charge it in the case? Like, yeah, what? So then they go, yeah. all right, we'll do it. That's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good because basically Never. I have the case hooked up to a USB-C. <laughs> And Which I just look weird. Just put, it in. just put the controller in and close the case. So not only does it help protect it from dust, and it, it, it makes sense it. actually. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad yeah. little little I, idea. You know, can the, I just I, be the Debbie Downer for a second? Sure. Lithium batteries are not very safe, right? Like in general, like they they're actually like a little bit dangerous. And putting like a lithium battery in an enclosed case and charging it, it, it I, I'm kind of surprised that Microsoft did that. To be perfectly frank, um, hmm. the only so. The, the adjustable triggers are really good when I had the RSI specifically because I could change it so that it, they basically became bumpers so I didn't have to fully press them down or anything. But just in general, paddles, I'm not sold on paddles as a concept. Um, mm, I think they're okay. nice to have, so I, I love the fact that you can just take them off. They're just magnetized. Wait till you play Dark Souls again and use that as the run button. I've tried... I've, Play third-person action games and the things I've tried. I'm like, I'm going to teach myself to use these. And and so far, I haven't played a game on it where I felt that other than helping out during that period when I mapped a couple of stuff, so I wasn't mashing Mm. the triggers, but that's a very specific situation. I'm I'm happy that they haven't become a standard yet, but I think they're nice to have for people that want them. So I oh, love the fact nice I love have, the yeah. fact that you can just take them on or and put them back on. So I, I just find it useful in games uh, on, on the Switch with the Hori Switch yeah, yeah, Pro I got it as well. I mapped my run button to one of the buttons so that I could actually look and do things while running. Because yeah. otherwise, you, you just can't because you're holding the button down and you can't do anything else with it. Yeah, but it also depends how you generally do that. Like I generally use like a claw grip when i do yeah. that stuff so it really depends on the person but i definitely see it i see value for 100 it's just like as a personal thing mm. it's like i like the fact that it's optional and can take it on take it off so mm-hmm. anyway great you know great it, controller like, the last thing i'll say like and maybe we'll move on to the next segment but into the news but you know what that reminds me of swinny it's like some people like using controllers to play fps right no competitive fps player uses a controller like there's zero in like truly competitive FPS games. But it's also super valid that some people go, I just like a controller playing FPS. Like I'm feel comfortable. That's like, you know, like what's great. And I think those back buttons slash paddles, they definitely are an advantage, but it's probably like a, you know, plus five, 10% for a lot of games. And probably just doesn't matter for, you know, like a lot of situations. You can get through the game without it, obviously, because most people don't have them, so... All right, cool. No, no, I was, I was really keen to hear your thoughts on the controller series two for the Xbox Elite because um, I was so close to putting on the Christmas wish list, but then I, I feel like, you know what, they're going to release like a series three and I'll get like a filthy about it, like with the <laughs> force feedback, just linking it back Pixels, to your impressions yeah, on the dual sense. Hmm. I was like, oh my I, God, I'll get so filthy if they I did that. I got rid of mine. Uh, the original, sorry. The Elite I had one. The original... I had the original Elite controller and the QA mm. on them were, was just appalling at the time. I got it at launch. Okay. And I was really disappointed at the QA just because 250 bucks you expect it to be pretty spot on, and there was just these little idly biddly issues. And I had other friends with buttons that would get stuck, stuff like that. 
which is surprising for a 250 Australian dollar controller. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, well, let's uh, jump into the news. So the first news story that we have is around Switch Online expansion. So Nintendo has revealed full details and pricing as part of the Animal Crossing Direct of the upcoming expansion upgrade for their Nintendo Switch Online membership, and it has caused a little bit of a kerfuffle. So coming on the 25th of October 2022, the upgrade will double the price in Australia. So if you're on a single, it will go from about 30 bucks to 60 Australian dollars. Uh, family plan, exactly the same. So it's gone from a very reasonable $55 to 110 now. And amazingly, it's even more expensive for our US friends, most of our listeners. It's in like a 150% increase. So for them, I think it's gone from about 20 bucks for a single membership to 50 bucks. That's which is nuts. incredible. And they've also eliminated, just similar to Sony, uh, the one and three month options. Uh, so you have to get it in a full chunk, 12 months now. Hmm. Uh, just going through the library, both for the 64 and Mega Drive quickly, and then we'll probably just, you know, open it up to our thoughts on it. So again, for the 64, you can play locally, you can play online. Biggest piece of news for me was that they've confirmed that in the PAL regions, this is very archaic now, what are we bringing up? Um, but they actually will have 60 hertz versions, so 60 frames, not 60 frames per second per se, but 60 hertz versions. So in Australia and the UK, we actually played, in a lot of the games, slower versions of the games, including the sound, which is pretty amazing to think about it now. Uh, mm. But they have confirmed that if, it's, if you play in English, it will run at 60 hertz, if you play it in any non-English language, it will run at 50 hertz, and you can play a 50 hertz English version if you want, but I don't really know why you do that. The eight games at launch that have been confirmed, Dr. Mario 64, uh, Mario Kart 64, Mario Tennis, Sin and Punishment, Star Fox 64, or Lilat Wars, as it was called in Australia, uh, Super Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, Winback, Covert Operation, and Yoshi's Story. And they've also confirmed seven future titles, Banjo-Kazooie, F-Zero X, Kirby 64, Mario Golf, Paper Mario, Pokemon Snap, and Majora's Mask. On the Mega Drive side, also very similar with the local and online co-op play, uh, just like they already currently have, and the 14 games are Castlevania Bloodlines, Contra Hardcore, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Echo the Dolphin, uh, Golden Axe, Gunstar Heroes. I don't know how to say this one. Do you know how to say this one, Twinny? I'd just say Musha. Musha, Musha. that's a, yeah, I was going to go with Fantasy I actually Star. don't know about that game. Yeah, and yeah, Fantasy USHA. Star <laughs> uh, The End of the Millennium, Rise Star, Shining Force, Shinobi 3, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Streets of Rage 2, and Strider. The other thing that they uh, confirmed, which wasn't confirmed prior, is that they're actually including a DLC, uh, which they announced separately, which was the Animal Crossing New Horizons Happy Home Paradise DLC. So in Australia, that's priced at $37.50. If you have this expansion pack, it will actually come with it, which is interesting. If you've got a lot of Animal Crossing players in the house, it probably makes sense. And then the other thing that they'd already announced, but they had it on sale, was the Nintendo 64 controller, which is $70 Australian dollars, and the Sega Mega Drive slash Genesis controller, which was $70 Australian dollars, and the 64 controller is already sold out in America and in Australia. Big surprise. On the day Yikes. that it went live. So... I am actually surprised, but I have thoughts on all of these things. Sweeney, just to open up the batting, the price increase, was this like in the realm of possibility for you? Oh, look, I'm surprised by this amount, definitely. Like, I thought, look, it was going to be, it wasn't going to be $5. Mm. Let's say, you know, like twenty nine ninety five, 
for a year, I could have expected it to be $40, right? And that would have been like, oh, that makes sense. Is right? that the max that you were expecting? Well, I didn't sit there really thinking too hard about it, honestly. So, like, I just remember at the time thinking it was going to be a partial amount increase, not a 100% double the price, you know? Mm. Like, that came as a shock. And as you mentioned, we're lucky in that regard compared to some of the other areas in the world, so... Yeah, how about you, Mike? Well, okay, as, someone, so, as, as someone who's mooching off my membership. As someone who's mooching, <laughs> well. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess here that a big component of this cost is coming from licensing from Sega. I think so. That's probably where the biggest component maybe comes from. I don't know, hypothetical, I'm just making this shut up. Um, then there's going to be an element of let's just increase the price a little bit extra because we're offering a whole new array of games. Um, so, so, you know, they could get away with a little bit more. But double the price? Uh, I'm just going to just just say that's bullshit. I, I, don't, I don't know what the licensing fees are for Sega. I just can't imagine how this could have doubled the costs for Nintendo to offer this service. Um, even if you take into account, you know, I, I don't know, slightly bigger download sizes or something it, it doesn't add up to me at all and i think it's really customer unfriendly to be doing this um it's yeah it's over the top in my opinion but you know there's this people who will uh gladly pay that amount to be able to get access to these these new games so and you know like part of the reason why you're in my family which you know we're family we live in the same house yeah, and everything gross. It's like I already needed the family membership anyway, and they have eight, like eight people total that can be on the same membership. Which is a good deal. So I was like, you know, 55 Australian dollars for the year, family, like eight different members. Like, you know, there's a few people I know who are in the family, like definitely in my family, that are a part of it. And it was kind of almost like, (laughs) I'm not going to go and ask you for like, you know, $4 for the year or whatever it is, you know. But I have to but say, now. <laughs> with the increase, I'm actually, I'm like, and this is what I want to get to, I actually don't think I'm going to upgrade it, which mm. kind of like for someone like me, who's like, you know, probably embarrassingly a bit of a mega fan of Nintendo and almost buy everything that they do. But it's the same reason why when I looked at the 64 controller and it was 70 Australian dollars, I'm like, 70 Australian dollars, like far out. That's yeah. bloody expensive. And it's got a lot of tech in it. It does actually have a rumble pack in it, wireless, all that kind of stuff. It's chunky. It's a chunky boy, but man, like 70 bucks. It's a lot for... And yeah, it sold out and I'm like... Surpri- but that's why I'm surprised it I sold out. But- I didn't actually feel like, oh, okay, I missed out. Hmm. I just actually, like my feeling was, oh, I'm kind of glad it sold out because then I, <laughs> I don't have to worry about buying it. And for like now. Getting weak and, and buying it. How about, how about you, Swinney? Because like, like I said, you're muting off my thing. So it's really like if you bother me and want to get the 64 thing and then we'll work it out but uh Me? swinny are I'm you... not... oh sorry i thought you said swinny you're muching I'm not... no you're not muching i'm saying mike's muching you're <laughs> okay. not muching you've got your own thing uh are you gonna upgrade so i'm i've i've got a few different conflicting kind of points on this like before when you asked me obviously i didn't state whether or not i actually thought the increase was justified or not um i i will upgrade at some point I'm not going to rush to upgrade um, because I don't want to upgrade and then just like, you know me, like I've always got so many games. I kind of want to have a time when I'm not playing a lot of games I'm super interested in that I can actually sit down and say, hey, now they've added Paper Mario, that's a game I never actually played through properly. 
now I can actually play through that. Um, mm. So for me, it's kind of I'm going to wait until they add a few more titles that are kind of like something I haven't experienced. Mm. And you know, they've got Sin and Punishment there for launch, which is a game I could never never got my hands on. So I don't even know if they ever released that in Australia. I don't think they did. I know they put it on um, like Wii Virtual Consoles and stuff, but basically, Sin and Punishment was such a late release that I think fairly certain it didn't come to Australia. But it's the thing for me is I if I look at this in the context of we've got this existing thirty dollar membership, it's ridiculous that price increase. If I look at this as if this was a brand new service for that amount of money, I actually don't have a problem with it. So it's the reason being is that when you actually still add it up across the year versus the titles you can have access to, I actually think it's very reasonable. But the thing is we're going from a $30 thing Mm. to double the price is what I have the issue with. Mm. And the other thing I have the issue with is that they don't give you any option to purchase these games in any way. Mm. Now, if they did, if they said... Yeah, if they said, hey, you could actually purchase these individually for $15, right? Some people will probably pick and choose, right? But still, if you add up the fact that even if they charge only 10 bucks for them, that's $30 that you've got to have access to all these. Plus, and the Mega Drive stuff I'll get to in a second. Like, there's these a lot of these games are actually very substantial games, like way yeah. more than the SNES games and definitely more than the NES games. So you're actually getting much more content than you like compared to those other services but the jump is the thing i have the problem with and, yeah, and the sorry and the fact that they're cutting out the ability to only get it for one or three months so that's see, I think absolutely that's a, ridiculous that this all looks um integratory i don't mean to butt in but this all looks intentional to me obviously um because they know that if they offer one or three months people will just get the one or two games that they actually want to play from the catalog and then that's it. They'll drop the the membership. Maybe they'll get it for another three months or something just to finish the games they want, and then that that's it. So they force people, I'd imagine, to do it for the full year so they can pay the full price. Probably only play two or three of those games. Again, obviously not offer uh, offer them separately because then people would just buy the one or two titles they actually give a shit about. Uh, this is this is intentional. Clearly, it's intentional. I mean, and again, I just I find it extremely customer unfriendly to to do it this way. So it's it's such a to me I, I feel like it's such a it makes sense for Nintendo to do it but because I've, I've I've never been a huge Nintendo um, lover I guess I mean I've appreciated and I've appreciated the games that they've made but I'm just seeing through this if that makes sense I'm seeing the the sneaky marketing that they're using and to me it's almost hypocritical of them to do these really cool friendly family family friendly games yet have really really horrible tactics like this in my opinion <laughs> have you ever met a company that they were inspired by called disney well, <laughs> yeah like, i know <laughs> it's literally changed their whole corporate uh culture disney when they did one deal with them with a hunter food cards um <laughs> sin and punishment never released in the west actually for 64 mm. um yeah like i i don't know why i didn't remember that um what, like one thing for me sweetie was like i feel like genuinely like let's be real the nintendo switch online shit like it's the worst of all download rates are the worst. It's mm. it's genuinely worse than the 360. It, it's probably more on par with the Xbox original live, and maybe worse than that. No voice chat, flaky mm. as hell. Smash is annoying if you're not got a LAN connection. Even when that, it's still not ideal. I kind of just wonder though, with the price point they hit originally, 
everyone's reception was like, that's cheap. Like, it's shit, but it's cheap, right? Mm-hmm. Which you I think if you you're for. a business, you're never wanting to hear that. If people go, oh, that's really cheap. It's really crap, but it's cheap. You want people to have a bit of a mixed view on it. And then you go, okay, we've priced it right. I feel like I wonder if they've gone far out with like prices wrong. We need to bump it up. How do we do mm-hmm. this? And this is kind of a bit of the correction that they've made to take some of the punishment. Good point. Um, and it, it's shit. Like, it, it's it's way too much. I feel like even with the correction, even if they shaved, like, 10 bucks off it, it's way more reasonable. Like, if they said it was, like, 50 bucks, I'd be like, dude, like, 50 bucks? Really? But this is so much. It's gone the other way. I just, I don't think I'm going to get it. I'm in the same boat as you, Swinny. Like... I don't need any of those games. I've played almost all of those games. Probably three of the games I'm really keen to play are actually the confirmed future games. Um, so I think I'll just hold out there. Can I... Sorry, go Svenny. No, the last thing I was going to say was I think the selection they've done for the Mega Drive is actually absolutely fantastic. Like, Castlevania Bloodlines, Contra Hardcore, like, those games are such classics, especially Contra Hardcore. And then you add in Fantasy Star 4, which I've never played. Like, I'm actually mostly keen to play those games because I grew up with the SNES, right? Yeah. Now, no, that stuff's been available, a lot of them on Mega Drive collections and things. I'm not talking Sonic. That game's been released, like Sonic 2 and all that stuff. It's the fact that, like, Castlevania Bloodlines isn't been, hasn't been available on that many things or Contra Hardcore, you know? So I am keen, really keen to play that. And I know that wasn't really part of the announcement news, but it does form part of the fact why I would be okay with subscribing to this. I just wish they didn't make you do it, force you to do it for 12 months. Mm. That, that is the part that I just can't fathom. Yeah, you're like, great point. Like the Mega Drive Genesis titles, like the best Sonic game. It's actually an insane list. Guns like games. Heroes, you know, games yeah. like that are absolute classics. If so. people do subscribe to this and they've never played Mega Drive or Genesis, like, get into this catalogue. Like, you pretty much play any of these games. Echo the Dolphins are okay, but hmm. most of them are, like, either the best in their series or just, like, just standout games on their own. Hmm. Um, maybe, maybe for the final point uh, with you, Mike. Uh, uh, just, uh, uh, well, two, two final points. I wonder how much it would cost to just get a 64... Uh, with second hand somewhere, and then just get one or two of the games you uh, actually like want to play. Just, about. <laughs> just give it a short probably be more nowadays, yeah. Unless you get lucky at a flea like market, a hundred years worth of subscription. It's also, it's <laughs> also the fact. It's also <laughs> so the maybe fact, it's not so bad. It's also the fact that unless you go down the emulation route, like just getting them to look, you could like most of the ways you're going to yeah. be able to get them to look on modern TVs aren't going to be great unless you spend a lot of money anyway. So. Mm. Sorry, I just bumped my microphone if you could hear that in the audio version, but I was trying to grab the Wii U that's on my desk. I mean, like, that's the thing, right? I can still just play the Wii U version of all these games which are on virtual console. Until they take the store down, though. Which they will. (laughs) So very shortly now. After this, surely they will. Uh, So just just a quick uh, point about the the DLC for Animal Crossing. Um, Also, the free, free DLC. Is it too little too late? I don't know. I, I mean, I've been out of the the Animal Crossing game for quite a while. I don't know if you you. I don't think you're still well, on it. I, I believe. Got. I believe this is their last big update for the game. Okay. So that they they said essentially it's like DC. That's why it's like a big paid expansion yeah. pack. 
And Pete, I mean, man, they, no, they will sell tons of this or people will buy the upgrade. Like, this will sell because people oh, want more. No, like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, just, just to clarify, right, just... just to clarify, because I don't want to do a correction. So there's two DLCs, essentially. There's the title mm-hmm. upgrade that Animal Crossing is doing to version 2.0. So that's free. There's a bunch of stuff they're adding in there. And it's actually really cool stuff like Brewster and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then there's the paid DLC, which is like um, based on, it's pretty much the 3DS game, which was a separate game that was linked to New Leaf. But this is like integrated as DLC, which has been the strategy of Nintendo now. I I don't think it's too late. I think it's actually really good. Um, Like, yeah, just going back to the whole DLC being part of it. I have seen some takes from people saying, I wonder if, like, DLC will be a part of this thing in the future. If they do that, that might be, like, the most unbusiness-like move Nintendo could ever make. Like, that is, like, the total opposite of the business move, the strategy of why you even have DLC. Like, monitor DLC pricing. It never goes down, or very, very rarely. And only fractionally, because you're already talking about people who have to be pretty into the game to then want the DLC extra. It doesn't make any sense to have that as like a Game Pass alternative. But but I think this is a good test case for them. About, I, I don't think it about, is because Animal Crossing is the second most popular game on the Switch. And if you look at the people who buy Animal Crossing, they're not necessarily... Like, you, if you look at the segments of the market, they're like some very distinct people. Like, some people bought the Switch only to get Animal Crossing. So that's why I wonder if they included it to try to get people across the line to bump it up and expand what they're playing a bit more. Um, but we'll see. Like, I'll be I'll be super interested. I think if they do it, they'll probably do, like, something like Luigi's Mansion DLC as, as sort of, like, a part of the expansion. That would be my prediction if they go down that path. Because that's that game sold well, but probably not as well as they wanted. Um, and that's a weird DLC. I don't think it really sold well. So, cool. All right, well, let's move on to the next story, which... Is about my favorite company. It gets a lot of heat. I feel like I'm getting. Uh, I've actually stuffed up the uh, things. I'll, I'll do it like this, so this actually works. Oh, okay. Yes, cool. It, it gets a lot of heat, but one thing it doesn't <laughs> get is products out to people. And one thing it doesn't get is uh, information in our run sheet into God. Well, yeah, no, no. You know, it's all in my head, so it's all good. Um, so what are we talking about? We're talking about analog. So analog every 16th of October for like four years straight now have released a new product or announced a new product. Uh, and as uh, Mike rightfully criticized, they, they the last two announcements, which were last year, the Duo, which is, you know, PC Engine, uh, TurboGrafx clone, uh, FPGA clone, hasn't even had an announcement to say you can order it. And then uh, the Pocket, which was two years ago, almost, well, to the day, effectively, yesterday, I, I have two uh, on the way and they have been delayed twice so it's december now and I, I do get nervous when i think they'll be shipping it from like you know their factories in china slash vietnam or wherever it is then all the way to seattle and then all the way to australia i feel like i might not see it until like feb or march or something like that it's gonna be brutal. especially when australia post can involve yeah, yeah true true in true. that case it's probably 2024 but yeah so when they did post on Twitter to say, hey, we've got like a special announcement and all this stuff. Man, I think I said to you guys from memory, like I got like super, super nervous, right? So I was actually very pleased and I'll run through this fairly quickly. Um, fairly pleased to see that they didn't announce a new product, like massive tick. Uh, they really were just talking about 
you know, what's happening with analog going forward and then also like with the pocket itself. So what they did is they sort of, you know, showed off the UI, the operating system for the pocket called the analog OS. And like number one off the bat for people who are listening, check it out. It looks to me, it's so sick. I love the interface. Like the interfaces with analog to me are just like perfection. Like they're so well designed and thought through. Like the the pocket itself can display any color, obviously, but the whole interface is built around a black and white motif that to me just looks really, really cool. And the whole idea behind this is that it's actually like a, a library. Like they're trying to go for, you know, the one-stop place where you can find everything. Um, some of the big announcements that they've included, like with all this information that's coming out is that, and we didn't know this before, that you can save the game state at any moment in time so these are like cartridge games you can just press the button and actually save your state and pick it up later to me even though i already ordered two analog pockets that was like almost the most important thing for me to know what they're doing around that because i was like super nervous to go shit if if i'm trying to like find even with game boy games where they're built around you know get up and go not being able to just like pause really quickly and then go to something else and then pick it up again Mm. Like, I was just kind of nervous about that. I was like, oh, is it going to be like a low power mode? Like, all these issues, like, that we're going to have. This is awesome. This is actually the first time it's ever been done, whether someone's been able to have a proper save state FPGA with cartridges themselves. The other one, and this is where it gets to be interesting for me, is they talk about you can create and share playlists. Because there's a library, you can actually go through all these kind of things and pull together playlists that you can take the SD out and give it to someone else and put it into their pocket and they'll have that playlist. Um, one thing that I love, and it's a little bit down on this page, is you can track your gameplay. Like, I love this in the DS and the 3DS. So, like, I'm super pumped about this kind of stuff. This is very, very cool. Um, screenshots, you know, I'm big on screenshots now. I took stacks of screenshots when I was playing through Metroid Dread. You know, like... I totally understand that this has happened, but you have to actually add your own box art. Like they have a really cool layout where it shows all the box art, but that obviously is not going to come with the pocket. Totally understand why from a copy perspective, copyright perspective. And they are treating this as like a, as a reference level database. Um, You know, so they, they're putting in a lot of effort just like they do with the FPGA to actually get this working. We already knew that you can plug this into like the CRT, the like handheld or like an LCD screen it did make me realize like these are LCD screens, not OLED screens. And they are making that like just reinforcing that to people just to remind them that it is that just the last few things on this page that I wanted to shout out that even though they've announced all these things in December, when they finally start shipping units with analog OS 1.0, it's almost all of them are not going to be available. Like library memory and tracking will not be available at launch, which is most of the stuff that they've talked about in this. And that even when they launched the library feature, it's only going to be Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color, Game Boy, and Game Gear, not Neo Geo Pocket, Color, and uh, TurboGrafx-16 Atari Is, Lynx. So do you like, know? Do you know if there's what the method for actually updating the, you know, the firmware or whatever is? Is it as simple as, hey, if it's got a Wi-Fi connection, or do you have to actually go plug it into your PC and do all that? Uh, good question. I don't think they have Wi-Fi, so it, it like it with standard analog. G. Well, maybe I'll answer, Mike, because I've got a few analog products. But, um, like, the standard ones, you actually just put, like, an SD card and it, and it updates the console okay. itself. And they've built it, 
like as opposed to other things, even computers, they've built it in such a way you can't brick it. It's like unbrickable, even if you have a corrupted firmware that you're trying to install on it. So they've thought about that pretty deeply, but not an F, uh, a Wi-Fi based solution, unfortunately. The one other thing is like just a few things I would just point out <clears throat> that the analog OS, they're actually going to make it work on the Duo as well, but they've confirmed, and it's in the Polygon article I'll show next, that it will not work on the prior analog consoles. And I was like thinking about it, I'm like, shit, I think they might again re-release the Super NT, so like the Super Nintendo clone console and the Mega Drive and incorporate these library features. And, you know, they're obviously trying to protect themselves with some of the disclosures here where they talk about, you know, Analog Pocket does not play copyrighted ROM files, <laughs> plays legacy game cartridges via the cartridge slot. And the other critical one is it doesn't operate using any BIOS files or any other entities, and it designs all of its hardware from scratch. So, like, you know, they seem to be pretty good operators, the guys who run this company. I think that they've already thought through if they get sued, you know, like how do they stand up against all that kind of stuff. Here, here on the big... Big Week podcast, Big Week in Gaming, we, we ask important questions. And the question I have for you, Intergod, yes. have they confirmed if Phil Fish is making the uh, the little intro track for this one, for this new OS? Because he did make it, for, he has made it for the last two. So he made it for the Super NT and then he, I think he also made it for the Mega SG. But I'm, don't quote me on that one. I know that he did make it for the NT Noir update. So I don't think they've confirmed it from what I remember, but... Right. I'd, thank, I'd you for giving, yes. uh, thank you for giving thank you for giving a very serious answer to a <laughs> joke question. <laughs> no, but it's cool. I love the intro for the consoles. They look amazing. Like this is part of what I love about analog. Like it's just very slick. Everything that they do. I, I, you know, just going through the Polygon article quickly again because it actually has um, the guy who runs, like Chris Tabor, who runs Analog. Like he's actually quoted and interviewed a little bit. I did find a funny how it says finally Pocket gets access. <laughs> to save states and screenshots when it's not even out yet. Um, yeah, disappointing that they're not going to backport the analog OS, but maybe that's because of, you know, the functionality of it all. And again, you know, Kevin Horton or, you know, Kevtris, as most people know him, you know, getting a big shout out in this article, which I thought was really, really cool. They are using experts and researchers, people who have complete game sets for a lot of these systems to make sure they're cataloging everything correctly. And just to let you know how it works, and I think it's really cool that, you can actually go into like a game store, pick up a, like in this article is talking about Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, which has 18 different revisions, plug it into the pocket and it will tell you which revision the actual cartridge is. Wow. So like, if you're into that kind of stuff, it's it, like, to me, it is like the absolute, you know, like it's like a, a dream device for me. Like, and I know people are probably going to attack me and say I'm an analog shield, but like for what they're trying to do, it's pretty amazing. Um, and then the last thing I just want to shout out is I feel like this whole part that they go into from Chris Tabor is like a bit of an attack on the mister. And you know what? Like, I will get a mister. And I don't understand why people need to have, like, console wars and all this kind of stupidity. And what's happening now is, like, it's getting to be, like, mister versus analog, which I'm just like, it literally can buy both. Or you, you can buy the mister and not buy analog or vice versa. It's fine. Well, also, one is very much a different level of consumer. Yes. You know, like, I would buy an, an analog pocket, right? Yeah. I wouldn't buy a Mister. You know, it's just not... 
I I want the plug and play, or as close to plug and play as you can with, get with these kind of devices. <laughs> well, you know what? It's like you've read this before. Chris Chris Tabor has got you in mind, Sweeney. <laughs> so exactly. he's like talking about like off the shelf dev boards. He's actually saying that they they believe because there's two FPGAs on the pocket, it's a lot weaker than the DE10, which is the you know the one that's all based around the Mister. But he he actually is saying that they expect most of the game most of the cores so like you know most of the systems to come onto the pocket kevtris in like this discord that i'm on with them all he actually did confirm in the discord that uh super nintendo genesis is definitely coming to the pocket so it, it almost seems like unofficially officially it will come to the pocket and you know a lot of the way that they're talking about the playlists and loading games and everything like that it sounds like when the console, the handheld, and I'm expecting it to be jailbroken, which means you'd be able to play ROMs off the SD card, which they don't approve, but funny enough, a lot of the people who work at Analog are the ones releasing that, like, firmware, which, you know, dot, dot, dot. Um, I, yeah, I just feel like, you know, it's kind of, like, being built to, like, be a Super Nintendo Genesis and below, like, console well, on the go, very, which is just nuts. It's very telling that they did the four-face buttons, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like, given all the kind of consoles that they're trying to target, even with the GBA, it doesn't need the four face buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing is just that more, like, this is from Chris Tabor, that more pockets will be in stock and shipping a bit after pre-orders ship. So, like, trust me, we're trying to do everything we can to keep these in stock. You know, COVID hasn't done anyone any favours and we've gone to great lengths to produce as many as possible and continue to do so. So... People are always asking about when are they going to allow for pre-orders. It does seem like in December onwards, they will open up for pre-orders again. So, no, like, I thought it was a really cool update. It's been received very poorly by, like, the community who, like, cares about this kind of stuff. You know, I think it's really great. There's, like, a lot of cool features that they're showing off with the Pocket. You know, I'm really, really looking forward to getting mine, hopefully, in December. Uh, But we'll see how that goes. Um, And, yeah, like, I can't wait to, like, other people can order it because it's... It's kind of been like a bit annoying for everyone that they haven't been able to actually order it like all this way through. All right, well, let's move on to our next story. And I think I have to go backwards for this one. Uh, but over to you, Sweeney. Yes. Now, screw that talk about retro fancy handheld collection. Let's talk about a big meaty manly RPG for once. <laughs> so we actually finally got some news some juicy news about Obsidian's new RPG, Avowed. So for anybody who doesn't remember, Avowed was revealed back in June last year, and we haven't seen anything but the teaser trailer that they showed, which is all cinematics, which is playing in the video podcast right now. But uh, Jez Corden over at Windows Central and also of the uh, Xbox Two podcast actually got uh, got to see some footage and from everything that um, that he's talked about it sounds like the game is coming along really nicely and some really really cool tidbits that he's being able to share some of it is not confirmed definitely and like again all of this is coming while it's coming from a reputable source Windows Central has been very um, good in that in the past just still obviously this is a game in development still you know any of these details could change but the the game is actually pretty deep into production already. Um, but apparently, it's not like at a playable alpha stage yet. Um, they, he said that it's likely using uh, the, the same engine as the Outer Worlds, um, just which is Unreal Engine four. Don't we don't know about the Outer Worlds two yet in re- that regards? 
Um, and that Obsidian have about 125 people working on that game, and they they have about 120 people working on uh, the Outer Worlds 2. So pretty split there. Um, they also have a small team working on uh, oh, what's the name? Is it uh, Grounded or whatever that um, you know that survival? Yeah, Grounded. Sp- yeah, Grounded. So they're they're also working on that game on the side. Now, to no one's surprise, um, he said that, you know, it really does look like their take on Skyrim, just like Outer Worlds was kind of like a take on Fallout. Um, But Outer Worlds, interestingly, didn't feel like Fallout once I played it. So it's kind of like, I think, surface level, it probably looks that way. But I think, I have a feeling Nevada is is kind of probably going to feel different, um, just because it is based on the Pillars of Eternity world, and they're taking a lot of the... (laughs) elements like the spells and enemies and the lore and everything from that so also obsidian i don't think they're you know he doesn't know the scale of the game if it is going to match up to skyrim but he even kind of talked about the fact that it's probably going to be what obsidian did with outer worlds which is smaller in scale but more like i guess more detailed and more narrative driven like the smaller the smaller you could you build the game world the more you can tailor the narrative in a specific way or at least build branching paths in a more realistic way um so it is set in the living lands region of uh aroa i think it's aroa um which is the world of pillars of eternity so i've only played through the first pillars of eternity game i haven't played through dead fire it was a really, really cool world, and I would love to see what that what it looks like in first person. But I didn't fall in love with Pillars of Eternity as a game itself. Uh, honestly, I think it was a bit too dialogue-heavy for me, so I think this is going to be more up my alley, where it's going to be much more... If it's kind of closer to Outer Worlds in, in that regard, then it's going to be much more my thing. Um, it is going to be more class loadout-based in Skyrim, which means uh, Mike is going to hate it. <laughs> because it's going to probably limit people based uh, more. It's going to be more traditional RPG style. Whereas if you're playing as a like a, a magic character, you're going to be more limited in, in that regard. You, you can't be a, a jack of all trades as much. Is what they kind of he's insinuating. Right. Um, and spells can impact the environment. So in the teaser trailer, they showed like a spell removing rubble. Apparently that's actually a thing in the game that they've just obviously turned into a cutscene. So it's going to be more pretty... Um, you're going to have more interactivity with the environment. If There's one thing Outer Worlds really suffered is that other than the NPCs and the environment, that it, it didn't feel like... The, the world was pretty static. Like, you didn't really... There wasn't much to move around. There was items to pick up, but it was pretty static. Mm. So I'm hoping that's what that means. Is it's going to feel more like a bit of a lived-in world. Um, but yeah, the the last point that he said is that um, he thinks it's a good chance that it's going to be shown off at E3 and likely going to be a 2023 release. So unlike when... By, uh, not Bioware, when Bethesda teased, you know, Elder Scrolls Six. And then, you know, it's it's obviously a long way off. This is actually deep in development and we likely see something at E3. So awesome. really, really cool to go from no mm. news at all to this is just great. And a lot of people are super pumped about this. And one cool thing as well is if anyone's interested in learning more about the world that the game is set in, um, the Avowed subreddit is really, really cool because there's already established lore from pillars of the two pillars of eternity games that people are actually already writing beginners guides on the world so if you're super keen you like it you can actually go and check out some of the what the world's based on so 
Absolutely. Yeah, nice. that, that looks really cool. I think That's we're awesome. all keen on this game, actually. Like, even I'm keen on it. And, you know, about that kind of class-based stuff, that's kind of the, the way I naturally thought Skyrim would work. And it wasn't until I picked the wrong class and I started doing different things, the game started to evolve to my play style. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, I don't have to worry about this. So I probably just need to be a bit more mindful of that going forward, <laughs> I guess. All right, moving on to our final story before we get to the Minute Mike roundup. Uh, and <laughs> it's uh, more of my type of stuff, which is the Amiibo roundup that we have. <laughs> so just just quickly, like on, because, uh, you know, my wife is like massive on these Amiibo, uh, Series 5 Amiibo. I must admit, when they first said about the Series 5 Amiibo, I thought they were talking about um, the Happy Home Amiibo, like the new home Amiibo that they released already. And a lot of people do call that Series 5 like already, which it, it now isn't because this is now series five. Um, you know, like this 48 Amiibo card, I'm hoping they have like a box set cause I can buy the whole bloody thing. Like that would be uh, handy for my situation. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm looking forward to the, when these come out, they're already for pre-order on uh, Nintendo store Australia. And I think they'll hit up on EB games pretty shortly and other places. Uh, but one thing I wanted to speculate on is, uh, just around the recent Sora announcement and just to give you the full context here, Mike, especially. So, so far with smash, every single character that's been in the game. So there's now 89 confirmed characters, right? Every single character up to this point has had an amiibo, right? Now, a lot of people, that's all they collect. They collect the Smash amiibo. They've, you know, started from Smash 4, which was on the Wii U, and it's continued through. It's still the same amiibo, right? The one thing was, I was starting to think about this the other day, and I was like, well, hang on a second. So they really, they announced Sora, and I always say this to Swinney, I'm like, you know, are they guaranteed to have the Amiibo for everything? They've kind of been a little bit wishy-washy on it. They're sort of saying, yes, they are going to do it. No, they're not. Up to this point, we've gone like every single Amiibo. They've said, yep, they're going to have the Amiibo for it. And then I went back and watched the Smash the Smash Direct that just happened with Sakurai, where they announced Sora, and that's the mm-hmm. last Direct that they ever said they're going to do. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, wait a second. In the direct, they actually spoke about, you know, Steve, Alex, and Min Min's already on the way. We know about that. Then they also said, okay, we can confirm Sephiroth, Pyra, Mithra, and Kazuya all getting Amiibo. But they were completely silent about Sora, right? And I'm like, starting to think, shit, like, they've said absolutely nothing about Sora. Everyone knows how crazy Disney is about, like, restrictions and everything like that. Then I thought, I wonder what they did with Bayonetta. Like, it's got to be like, this is probably just what happened, right? So I went back to the, like, the Bayonetta direct, like, where they, like, it was a full direct around it. And when they announced Bayonetta, they were also like, okay, the speculation, are they going to have all those Amiibo? And then they confirmed, yeah, we're going to have Cloud, Corrin, and we're going to have Bayonetta, right? So then I started digging more about it, and I'm like, shit, there's, like, absolutely zero confirmation that they'll have a Sora Amiibo. And I thought, this might be the most Nintendo thing if every single Amiibo for Smash, for every single character, apart from Sora. Like, that would, like, actually oh piss me off so much. <laughs> I was about to say, it's like, oh. it's, gonna, it's the end of the world. His OCD is just going to be... <laughs> it's like the OCD of the century. <laughs> yeah. My, 
you know, as the resident Amiibo expert, especially around release dates and distribution, you know, <laughs> uh, I have a feeling that there will be a Sora Amiibo, but because of how annoying Disney are to work with, yeah. and I say that from a personal standpoint, I have worked with them once. Oh, you better not say too much, but yeah, let's move on. Yes, it is, they are very restrictive, very. and I have a feeling that they it just wasn't at the point where they could even mention it. I have a feeling it will happen because mm. I think I think the Sakurai will make it happen because I think that he I get the feeling he would want that to be the case and even mm. if it didn't end up being a prof like make them much money I think he would just want it out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a feeling it will happen but they just couldn't even mention it. I'll um, say they definitely won't make any money on that amiibo like zero, right? And I think, because if you look at the character model for Sora, so Sora's coming out in a few days, so we'll probably have our reflections on it next week, Swinny. There's actually a Disney Mickey Mouse sign on Sora's Keyblade, right? Hmm. Like in the actual 3D model, which was a big deal because like even just something like that, like the Mickey Mouse sign, they are so crazy about that and protective of it. I run. I really wonder like with the Amiibo, I reckon they will remove that. <laughs> like I, that's oh, how yeah. crazy they are, right? I, look, my prediction is it's a 50-50. Like, I, I think there's a real material chance they will not release this Amiibo. All right, what do, you, what do you want to bet on it, huh? I don't know. You tell me. No, I was just His favourite Amiibo. I was, I was no, wanting I to, to no, I was, I was wanting to see your eyes perk up and, like, to get triggered by that, but you're actually very composed. I'm actually very surprised. You're a changed man. <laughs> Look, I don't think we'll see it next year, so it would be the year after, so it's a very long-dated bet. I don't know. Like, if you come up with a, a term that I could get along with, yeah, we'll, no, we'll, I don't, we'll dance. I'm not a betting man. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the Amiibo roundup for me. All right, we'll go into our final newsy segment which is the Minute Mike. So oh, Mike has one right. minute to cover the rest of the news. Um, I'll just load us up. We're ready to go. I've, I've adjusted the timer, so it's more of a fair minute now. It's all. It's also, um, we've I bumped up the word count, as we mentioned last oh, week, because yeah. it was too mm. easy. So, so it's, hover, it's hovering around 180 now. Oh, what? But, is that even? <laughs> no, so we said, no, we were one, we okay. won... 50 last week, yeah. right? And you finished yeah, it easily. That was, that was comfortable, yeah. However, the 150 last week included... So each line in our run sheet has a little symbol. <laughs> I realised the 150 includes the symbols. Oh. So, but the 180 also includes the symbols. Okay, so it is enough. like so a 30 bunch of extra words. But then well, I'll also I mean say... a couple more. I'll also like say that I che- double-checked the timing and I shaved mm. off 20% of the time because it wasn't a minute, right? So we've gone up... <laughs> By like 20% words and down 20% time. So you might lose this, Mike. Oh, boy. All right. So re- re- Let me know when to start because I'm not going to look at the screen screen. Okay, okay. And remember, if you lose, you have to run through naked uh, the next packs. <laughs> no. No, please. <laughs> no, no. For the sake of All everyone, right. no. All right. Wait, I'll, I'll, do, I'll be fairer. You start yeah. and I'll go into the actual you know B-roll image, all right? Okay. Ready? So start whenever you want and then I'll jump okay. across. Right. BioWare's Dragon Age 4 will reportedly be a current-gen only release. Hearts Machine action platformer Solar Ash has been delayed until December 2nd, 2021. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 was close to being cancelled after its latest delay. Arcade and SNES caveman romp Joe and Mac is getting a remake in 2022 for Microids. Call of Duty Warzone is introducing a new kernel-level anti-cheating system called Ricochet, and it's already leaked ahead of a release. 
Monster Hunter Rise will not have cross-save or cross-play functionality between Switch and PC. Stalled negotiation between EA and FIFA may lead to the series moving forward without the license. Steam has banned any games that issue cryptocurrencies or NFTs. Fallout 3 on PC has finally removed its Game for Windows Live requirements after 13 years. Japanese fashion brand Super Groupies has revealed a new Dark Souls clothing, Dark Souls clothing and accessories line. La 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 la. Um, and Billy Mitchell now has permission to proceed with his 2019 defamation case against video game records keeper Twin Galaxies, as well as another famous YouTuber, I believe. Oh, nice, man. You had like 1.5 seconds to go. Oh, even after... Blah, 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 blah. That, that 1.5, you could fit in my favorite part of this whole Minute Mike write-up. <laughs> Which part? The perennial shit heel. Yeah, well, I didn't want to get sued. <laughs> hey, that's that's a good point, man. Nice, nice move, because... When he's writing this and you're saying it, and Billy Mitchell is a pretty active dude, you yeah. notice I didn't. You notice I didn't say his name after I said that. Said who? We didn't, <laughs> didn't talk about it. Were we talking about the Fallout Three? Yes, totally. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Cool. Well nice. done, Mike. Well done, Mike. Well that done. was thanks. That was very tight. <laughs> I feel like I need to have some indicator because it's hard. To, I guess if you're listening to the audio to know when the time. No, is I, 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 I saw the numbers on the screen. I saw the numbers. Ah, okay. No, I'm, I'm more saying for the viewers. <laughs> the I'm, okay. Yes. Yes. The viewers need something. I'm trying to keep it reasonable, but I'm like, at what point do we like force you to fail? I'm just going to have to talk even faster if it gets bigger. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Although there was a... there was a Anyway, we won't get into it. There was one week where it was up for debate, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, let's go into our impressions. So this week, Mike and I played Back for Blood. Uh, we bandied together to take on zombie hordes in Turtle Rock's Back for Blood. How did we fare in our early battles? So you played more of it than I did. A little bit more. Um, first off, I didn't play Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead 2. Couldn't get anyone to... Because this was my non-gaming period of time. And Bummer. recently I'm like, oh, let's play Left 4 Dead 2. That'd be cool. And zero people were interested in <laughs> doing that. Um, so, like, this is my kind of experience with the franchise. You played a lot of Left 4 Dead. Is that right? Uh, substantial amount, yeah. We, we played... We played with friends back in the day, yeah. Yeah. And look, like, my initial impression, like, it didn't blow me away. I didn't think it was, a f- like, the best game ever. We both played it for free as part of Game Pass. I don't think I would have paid for it, just to be clear. But that's a cool thing about Game Pass. That's a win for Game Pass and Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Played it on the PC version of it. Um, and it was a fun game. Like, I thought it was fun. Yeah. It didn't, like, stick with me. I didn't kind of think shit, I need to play that, you know? Like, can't wait to play that tomorrow. It was, like, entertaining, but it wasn't, like, the most captivating thing, like, overall. Like, how did it hit you? Yeah, same. Um, Look, I I actually honestly have not seen reviews about this game. I have not seen... Apparently, it's copying a lot of flack online, Um, and I don't know why. Uh, Personally, uh, I enjoyed the experience. I felt it was pretty much Left 4 Dead 3 in terms of how it feels and how it plays, uh, with a few different you know, changes to the dynamics. Um, so I played, for a little bit of background, I played the beta when that originally came out, and then I played um, a bunch of rounds with you, um, played a bunch of rounds with some of our other friends, um, tried the solo campaign, and in the solo campaign you can experiment a bit more because I think, from what I've seen, it gives you access to all the cards. So mm. the game has a, a card system, and uh, you unlock... I'm not entirely sure how yet, uh, but you unlock various different cards that give you different kinds of perks, and you can uh, draw. There's you put put some in your deck, and as you play, you can actually select uh, a different card each 
new stage of the game. Um, so you can mix it up and you can try different combinations, different variations. So for example, when I played the solo version, um, I focused purely on fast reload uh, and more accuracy, but at the the downfall is you couldn't use aim down sights. So you purely played without ever aiming down sights, which changes the game a little bit uh, compared to how you'd, you'd you know, normally try to play it. Um, but in terms of the gameplay, I don't know, I, I find it fun. As you said, it's not one of those games that I think draws you in like Destiny or something where it's so bloody addictive, mm. no pun intended, that you just feel like playing again and again and again. But I also wonder if there's a bit of a, a peer pressure thing because we don't really... We didn't get an opportunity to play every single night with the same people in the same crowd. And you really do need to have, I think, four people that... Well, three people, including yourself, that you know and you speak to, to really, really get the dynamic going properly. But I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to to the next one. I wish Swinney would, would be interested in joining us. Because we always seem to be one person short anyway. So, wink, wink. Yeah, just honestly, I just the idea of playing a game like that at the moment just hasn't been super interesting to me. Like, I liked Left 4 Dead, but also zombies as a concept isn't generally appealing to me, but Left 4 Dead was kind of a... It was a... Yes? What? Oh, you... Ridden. Ridden. It's not zombies. It's not zombies. Sorry. How dare you? Zombies generally Zombies in other media equivalent. <laughs> I know. I'm, um, I'm dead. And... I think with Left 4 Dead, that was really very much a hey kind of like flash flash in the pan moment where it was like the big thing at the time. Plus, Mike actually bought the game for me, so I'm like, I actually feel compelled to play it as well. Oh, um, and to, I, I okay. liked it, but also I wonder if the, the gaming landscape is just so different these days. Like, I just mm. wonder if there's just so many other experiences that kind of are along the lines, like your Vermintides. Mm. And, you know, not to mention, as you said, Destiny, like your live service games that aren't obviously different, but, like, there are other things like that now that is it special anymore, you know? Yeah, I, I think there's nothing novel about this game. Like, there's the card system, but, again, that's been done in a lot of different games. For me, never played Left 4 Dead, and this structure, okay, it's a bit unique, sort of, Um but, you know, I knew so much about Left 4 Dead already that, that, that I think it would have been really cool at the time. But with this, it does, does, doesn't feel like it's captured any of the zeitgeist. Um, and I do worry about anyone making these type of games, like these co-op survival progression type games. Like, this does not feel like this is taking off at all. I don't know about you, Mike. But yeah, it hasn't really fared that well from a review stands. Mm. Yeah, I wonder, like the player counts and stuff like that, what they're doing. But I, want, I wonder why, ultimately, because it's, it's solid, there's there's nothing fundamentally bad about it. Gameplay's good, shooting's great, everything's kind of fun about it. I just think it's also maybe a saturated market. People either okay. have the games they're already playing or different genres. I know one 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 of the friends that joined us uh, is into Destiny, so he didn't really it didn't click with him because he's used to a certain engine, he's used to a certain thing, a certain type of gameplay. So he would he had no interest I reckon but by the end of the session, um, and I just think there's just too many bloody games out there well, at the moment that it's hard to just stick with something like this. Th- this is a Seinfeld reference, but you know we've already got a George. Mm. You know, like I feel like these type of massive online games, they they suffer from that. 
You know, like I look at Rocket League, like if I'm going to play a multiplayer game, I'm like, I just play Rocket League. Like Rocket League is honed to perfection. And I know it's a totally different game, but it's that multiplayer element to it. And, you know, again, just we've already got a George. We don't, I don't that's, need another George. That's how I feel about Smash Brothers and Nick, Nick Olsen. Yeah, it's, very cool. It's kind of like, as you said, it's like I already got a game like that that yeah. fills that spot. But in terms of Back for Blood, I mean, there's definitely a lot more discussion and there's more buzz. This is going to be a horrible comparison, but I think it's apt. Is It's definitely got a lot more buzz than Evolve, which was Total yeah. Rock as well, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's definitely... Step up from that, as you'd expect. But yeah, like if this didn't launch on Game Pass, I think would be like nobody would be talking about this game. I agree. I totally agree with that point. Really good I strategy think to put on the Game Pass, Pass has really saved it if it's going to do anything. Mm. And Evolve was actually a bit of a novel idea at the time. Yeah. Like that was a very remember, like yeah. even I wasn't really into gaming, and I was like, damn, that's a really cool idea. I love that. I love the logo. Like, I thought that was just brilliant and, like, so clever. It's almost the, the best thing of that game, unfortunately, for it, you know? Like, it genuinely is, like, one of the best, like, typography logos of all time in gaming, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I'm I'm keen to go and play it a little bit more yeah, before I had to install it. <laughs> yeah, I actually want to finish the full campaign at the oh, very okay. least to, to can, go through the whole thing, yeah. Can I ask, is the backlash to do with the single-player campaign? Because I know that the single-player campaign doesn't give you progression, Correct, yeah. Outside you, of unlocking maps and stuff. You get no no, no achievements, um, as far as I'm aware. Uh, you get no progression. There's no... You seem to get access to all the cards and everything mm. like that. Um, so, But I, I, I'm the wrong person to ask. I actually haven't... I just enjoyed the game. Mm. <laughs> I didn't even look at the backlash of the mm. reviews or anything. You know, we were the same. Like, we enjoyed it. I didn't. It didn't mm. blow me away. And ultimately, I'll probably give it the same review that it's getting, which is about a 7 out of 10. Yeah, but I didn't that. hate it. Like I don't know. I just don't understand the f- the furor that some people have just around you know blowing things up. So yeah, we'll go back to it. I, yeah, maybe like even if it's just you and I, Mike, I'm happy to mm-hmm. duo up and match up with some randos and we have a chat maybe, with some uh, randos. We'll go off party chat. A homie. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, One let's go to name. the final segment of uh, the potty and hand over to Swinney. Oh, I've been dreading this. I've been dreading this. So, all right. So I'm going to talk about Dungeon Encounters, but Mm. I'm giving everyone a warning that this is the hardest game I think I'll ever have to explain. Not because it's complicated. If anything, it's not super complicated. But all the game is, is systems and mechanics. So if I lose anyone along the way, I'm so sorry. I'm trying my best. But basically, Dungeon Encounters. um, So it was actually announced at Tokyo Game Show. So only like we talked about last show, so it's only been less than two weeks mm-hmm. and came out on Friday. So very quick announcement to uh, when it dropped. It's developed and published by Square Enix. Uh, it's coming, it's out on Steam, PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch. So I picked it up on Nintendo Switch. Uh, and it's essentially, you know, I'm going to repeat a little bit of what I mentioned last week, but there's, I, I think for anyone coming straight to this segment, I think they need to. It's a bit of a pet project from Final Fantasy legend uh, Hiroyuki Ito, who's behind some of the series' most famous battle mechanics, including the active time battle system, which is essentially everything from Final Fantasy IV to Final Fantasy IX was using that famous, you know, where you've got a charge meter, and then as soon as it charges up, you can attack. And that's very apt because this game is all built around the ATB battle system as well. And, uh, yeah, so basically I'm about eight hours into this game, 
and I'll explain what the game is in a second, but I'm about 25 levels deep of a 100-level game. So there's still a lot of mechanics that are still a mystery to me. They kind of they show some of the stuff or the name of some of the stuff you can get, but you don't know what it's going to do. So a lot of what I say could potentially be even changed when I get further into the game. That's why I, mm. I was initially going to re- review this game, but I think you, you can't fully judge the entirety of its systems until I think you really get further in. But what kind of game is it? Well, for anyone watching the video version podcast, the trailer that's playing is one of the best representations of this game. It is basically a minimalistic dungeon crawler RPG where you're descending level by level and mapping, completing the map by just filling in the empty spaces, which such a strange concept, but it's weirdly was compelling to me. So that's obviously why I picked it up and so I'll talk about in the show. But in terms of the flow of the game, think of Diablo 1 where you start... Um, I forget, Do you know what the village is called? Do you remember that? Tristram. Yeah, Tristram. So you start yeah. in Tristram and then you essentially eventually progress further and further into you know the, the dungeons by finding the stairs down. That's basically what this game is, the flow of this game, is that each level you find a staircase to go to the next one. And then there's like a home base at the top with like shops and everything. Once you, when you go about like 10 levels down, you can get like a, a two-way teleport. It takes you straight back to, uh, to level one. There are other shops in different maps as you go lower down. But that flow is kind of, it felt very similar to me. It's like, okay, I am progressing further and there's times when I may need to go back for various mm-hmm. reasons. Um, but you start off the game by choosing a party from a pool of different characters and you get one paragraph of story. That's it. It just pops up in a window. It says, hey, there's this academy in this mysterious dungeon appeared. Go explore it, basically. And I get the feeling it's probably not going to give you more story than that. It's <laughs> This is purely a game you play for the love of exploration and, honestly, like, completionism. You know, it's that kind of game. Um, and, like, the characters have a little bit of flavor di- uh, background when you look at their profile, but... They're all mechanically very similar. I've heard that some of them can do slightly different things as you find them because you can find new party members as you get further and deeper down. Um, But I honestly have missed a lot of them. I've got to go back and look for them because the ways you find them, you've actually got to um, kind of search them out using coordinates and everything. Question? Yep. Did you play as the cat? So I haven't found the cat yet. I haven't found Sir Cat, unfortunately. So I'm looking forward to finding him. Uh, But basically the... The map tiles all correspond, so you've got coordinates. So let's say you can see in the, the footage here for anyone watching, it's like 20, level 20, 6251. And the coordinates are very important because every single event you find and every like and different things all lead you to those coordinates. And there's even abilities when you're exploring that you unlock where you can move upwards a level or downwards a level, but there needs to be an empty tile. Or there needs to be a tile when you do it. So having a knowledge of where the the maps are laid out actually got me to get a pad out, a pen and paper, <laughs> awesome. and actually write some of this stuff down. Now, some That's of it, cool. some of it also like when I'm like, oh, I really need to remember where that shrine is because it will heal me from this horrible status element. I'll get to in a second. A lot of that stuff it will record in your log, so you can always look that up. But I still found myself using the screenshot functionality of the Switch a lot. Even for things like you're exploring the map and you will come across uh, a map puzzle that will say, find this point and it'll give you like a little grid and you have to find it. And I don't know if they're always on the same floor. So this is shown in the footage there. 
and you get really cool items from that. But then they also have math puzzles where it will show you a sequence of numbers with missing digits and you've got to f- figure out classic like sequences and, and whatever you call it to then fill in the coordinates to then go to that floor in that space to get the special items. So again, that's break, getting me to break the paper out and suddenly start to figure out, <laughs> oh, it's, so cool. it's add seven, then minus three for each additional digit. And that's what it is. So it's, and that's only like the third puzzle and there's probably like 20 of them. So it's really, really neat. Um, but yeah, like, as I'm saying, you're exploring, you go, you're finding different events. Um, some of those might, you know, be healing stations. But then there's all the battles. And thankfully, this game is no, there's no random battles in this. You can, once you've got this ability, which you get like in the second level, and you equip it, you can always see them on the floor. Some of them, like they're, they're numbered. Well, they're all numbered. So it actually keeps a log in your battle log of what those numbers mean. Most people aren't going to look them up each time, but there's times when you may come across one that's like a super overpowered enemy. So you're like, well, I'm going to ignore anything that's got a D in front of it because that's like a super overpowered um, mob. But the battles themselves is where the actual, I think, complexity of this game comes in. So exploring the map and everything, that's very chill. It's almost like um, Picross-like in the sense that you just kind of just laid back and playing it. But when you get in the battles, it gets a bit trickier. They're, they do play out like active time battles like Final Fantasy 7 and Final Fantasy 6, but all your enemies also have an ATP gauge. So as much as you're watching your own ATP gauge, you're watching their ATP gauge to know when they're going to be launching their attacks. Mm-hmm. And you can put it to wait. So anytime it charges up and it's your move, you know, theirs aren't charging up. Or you can set it to active if you really want, but I wouldn't do that myself. But each character in each enemy has three bars underneath them, like a physical defense, a magic defense, and HP. And you need to get rid of like all of the physical using physical attacks or all the hate MP sorry, magic defense using magic attacks to then be able to do damage to the HP. So what you've got to do is you basically got to balance your party with different kinds of attacks and different kinds of abilities. It's like I found having to manage my party's gear like that is way more important in this game than almost any RPG I've played in a long time. Basically because there's you've got to be flexible for any situation. So to give an example, like out of my four characters, we've got one that will deal, you know, like purely physical damage, but then has a backup random magic damage ability. And another one will focus on magic so that you, you've got enemies that come that have high either way you can deal with either one. But then they've got like, you can find like some of the cool items I was talking about. You can find a gun that petrifies enemies for a 30% chance. So it's like balancing your party is actually super important. And it's the part of the game that when people play it first, I've read some steam reviews and heard some comments. The first five levels are like, okay, this is really simple, simplistic. Like what the hell is this game? But once you start getting deeper, it, the actual systems get way deeper and it is a lot more strategic. So I really, I'm, I'm really adamant about anyone that's interested in trying this game, don't give up after like the first half an hour because it gets a lot deeper and a lot more strategic. So the only other the last thing I'll say is that um, the game's pretty punishing. Um, like you can get petrified. If you get one of your characters get petrified, they basically taken out of your party and they stay on that tile. And you've got to like go find some shrine on another level just to heal them and come back and get them. Damn. 
that kind of stuff I think is going to get easier though because you'll probably get to find abilities that protect against it and stuff. So that's where I'm talking before about mm. even the stuff I'm finding a little punishing will likely get easier, but then they'll introduce more things that'll make it more complicated. So, um, the so in general, I, I'm really having good fun with the game, but it's very much like look at the trailer. If that kind of game looks like it's going to be a fun time. It's, you're probably going to like it. Just give it a chance, as I said, after the first like half an hour. Um, but if you look at it and go, what the hell is this game? Like, who would want to play that? Then, like, this game is like $35 to $40. Like, it's not a cheap game. So I don't know if I can say it's justified at that price yet. Um, plus the music, oh, it's the worst thing of the game. Like, for oh. a Square Enix game, you'd expect the, the battle themes to generally be really solid. It's like butt rock renditions of classical music pieces <laughs> and they change like they change every 10 levels but there's only so much like i had to turn it down halfway because i was just because when you're exploring the maps it's like nice environmental sounds like running water and birds chirping and then you go into battle and it's like it's like there's the most i don't know what they'll think in there really i don't know what they're thinking so maybe that gets better i don't think it will at the end of the battle, do you get the... You do get a little celebration thing, but it's with the same guitar. So it's like, it just, okay. I don't know. It's You get used to it, but it's, that's like that's such an easy win for them generally. They're generally pretty good with that stuff. So, yeah, look, I think it's worth trying if you like the look of the trailer. I just want to make sure, <clears throat> before we have to do a correction for next week, uh, Square Enix legal department, please uh, issue the royalty check required <laughs> from Mike on using the victory sound from Final Fantasy that's heavily copyrighted <laughs> to him. And please don't DMCA us <laughs> at the end of the stream. <laughs> Imagine if it picked that up. Wow. They do. They do. People have Even hummed stuff on Twitch saying... and, yeah, being like mm. struck. It's oh, kind of crazy. Hey, that, but... Swinney, like, that is an incredible. I think you've actually threaded the needle of explaining that game to me as an outsider and I don't play that many RPGs and I know you're a super fan but I was like okay I get like what it is doesn't appeal to me feels like almost the perfect game for you in a weird way because it's like playing with a genre breaking it all down into its root you know components and everything like that which is very interesting as a as a thing to play and look at but yeah, especially at that price point, man. That's that feels like a nine ninety five ish game for me to just go. Oh, maybe I'll have a crack. Yeah, this um, if this game had random battles, it'd be a very different story. Like mm. the fact that it doesn't have random battles means that it's it's a much. As I said, it's like I get the same feeling playing this as I do as Picross. It's mm. kind of like that chill game. Um, can get tense, but um, but yeah, like in terms of talking about this game, like. I looked at my notes and there's so many things I didn't talk about that would it probably be in a normal review, but I just... This game has a lot of deep systems, mm. so, yeah. Nice, nice. Did you want to add anything more or we'll wrap up? No, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that does us for this week. Next week, uh, we will be covering the very last Smash fighter that will be added to Smash Ultimate, Sora. So oh, we'll be playing Sora game. during the week and Swinny and I will be giving, oh, sorry, we'll be giving our impressions of Sora as Thank the podcast. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, knowing Swinny, who loves the DLC fighters, almost mains exclusively DLC fighters 
And the amount of moves that Sora has that I saw so far, I'm like, oh my god, here here comes another one of these sorties that you that you love. So, but we'll see you next week. But with that, bye bye. See ya later.